0: Hello and welcome to all of the newcomers to the Poison Pen and for those tuning in virtually. We are delighted to have with us one of my favorite authors, Scarlett St. Clair. (laughs) And just when I thought I could not love her more, I discovered she has a library background. And we'll get into that. So she gets bonus points for that. Before we begin, let's see. The format for the program is pretty basic. I have some questions for Scarlett. We'll allow some time for questions from the audience and any virtual questions. The signing follows. When you purchased your books, you should have gotten a signing ticket. We will go by numbers. Um, I'm going to say this now because I will forget if I wait till the end Scarlett's been on tour She's been doing a lot of signings, so she's happy to do your name or personalizations and her signature But we're asking that you don't ask her to do more than that just because her fingers are about to fall off from all the books she's signed. <laughs> but now without further ado, I'd like to welcome Scarlett St. Clair Yay. Thank you <laughs> My first question for you is, as a reader, I'm always fascinated by who the author was before they started publishing. So, imagine you are a literary superhero. What is your origin story?
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is so interesting. I grew up in uh, Eufaula, Oklahoma, and I was a very poor kid. And um, I remember the moment my life changed, and it was after I read The Lord of the Rings. And I realized, it was so interesting. It was like this whole world opened up to me and I realized that I could write fantasy, but in addition to that, like I, didn't, I, I could aspire to be more than just like, you know, a, a poor kid. And uh, I didn't know anything really beyond that. And all of a sudden I wanted to be a famous author. I had to be famous. It was not going to be, I would not take no for an answer. And um, I wanted to travel and it, it just changed the course of my life. And, um, then after that, every decision I made, uh, was centered around being an author and no one could tell me, no, no one could tell me I was never going to do it. So, um, I went to, I graduated from high school there. I got, I'm got i a Gates Millennium Scholar, um, so I got to go to school for free. Thank God I, I wouldn't have been able to uh, make it out of my hometown if I hadn't. Uh, and that scholarship changes a lot of people's lives. Um, and it's, it's moved over toward uh, a fund called Native Forward. So if, if you're interested in donating, that's a very good fund to donate to. It changes a lot of kids' lives, a lot of Native kids' lives. Um, and then I went to school at OU, and I majored in English writing, and I think that helped me become a better author, and then library science, which is such a passion. Libraries are such a passion for me, and and librarianship changed my life as well, and it made me look at how readers seek information differently, and that's I used that approach to, in publishing as well, because I was self-published Um before this, before all of this, (laughs) but I got popular as a self-published author and then um, got to do really amazing things. So that's a, that's a very small version of my
0: life story. (laughs) What can you tell us about your new book, The Queen of Myth and Monsters?
1: Uh, I feel like it's a part of my feminist agenda to take over the world um <laughs> <and> <laughs> not for that. um yeah, it was very interesting i um I thought from the very beginning i'm very i'm very dedicated to the matriarch i i think it has a lot to do with my my roots in the native community and i um i think i thought it's so interesting I started reading books about how The patriarchy rose to power and it's so disheartening. And I thought, how do you take down the patriarchy? And uh, so that's written into this world because the other side of that right is is uh, talking about how women have power and that's part of this book as well and and we have power in the ways that everyone tries to take it away from us like the power of intuition which is always spot on but people tell us it's too emotional you can't you can't make decisions with your emotions and and I think that's a form of taking away our power and that's what Queen of Myth and Monsters is all about is how we take back our power our power and it will continue in book three. There is a book three. Why would I leave it like <laughs> <laughs> and everyone will ask me like is malice the last book? And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yes, I am a terrible person. I ended it there.
0: <laughs> um you usually have a vague idea about where your book is going when you start, but I read somewhere that Queen of Myth and Monsters completely took you by surprise.
1: I imagine you can tell if you've read it. it took me by surprise. Um, yeah, I, I. So I realized I kept trying to put it in this direction that I thought it was going. And I had to backtrack because I couldn't move forward. And that's when I knew I was doing the wrong thing. And then when I started doing the right thing, I knew it because I could write I could write it. Um, but I hated it. I <laughs> and it's so interesting. I love it. I do love it. But I also am like, God, this journey sucks for all of us involved. And I think that... <laughs> well i think readers don't realize that authors feel very similarly right like we can be we can write something that we disagree with or that we kind of hate having to do but um it works and i i think i know where um well i do know where the third book is going and just remember that i like to write happily ever after so (laughs) stay with me (laughs) um yeah it was very shocking and um it it that I usually don't vary my writing process very much, but this was very intuitive. I think, um, yeah. So probably because I was writing about the power of women's intuition.
0: Okay. <laughs> You've also referenced um, Queen of Myths and Monsters as the book in which everyone gets their backstory.
1: <laughs> it's so true, though. I, I I can make fun of myself. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was so interesting because. Um, None of that came through, but I think it's because it was mostly, uh, we had such, I I like to say that my books, the first book is always uh, romance forward, and then the subsequent books are fantasy forward. That's definitely the case for this one. Um, The first book was such a, it was such a love story, right? It was, you know, it was the end goal was to fall in love, right? This was not that goal in this story. Um, But, and then everyone's backstory is so heartbreaking, And I think Anna's was probably the hardest for me to write. And I remember the the headspace that I had to go into to do it. And um, the, the, the thing was, is that everyone had to have a backstory and a motive and you had to be able you had to understand it or you weren't going to like any of these people but by the end of it i wanted you to question literally everyone i mean i wanted i wanted you to be like who in the hell do i like like and why do i like them like what <laughs> what, what are their redeeming qualities very few things but they live in such a world where there's no option for you know there's no room for redeeming qualities or you die
0: that kind of leads <laughs> you can into... quote me <laughs> Um, our next question, because you really have the ability to create what you like to call morally gray characters. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what I like to call. <laughs> Are you saying they're evil? <laughs>
0: no, um, they're they're complex. I think yeah. is what you would say. But can you talk about that process because it's a. I think I read somewhere that you said it's always a matter of perspective, and you were referencing Vlad Third. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, If you yeah. look at him from the people of Romania's viewpoint, he's one person. Outside, he's different.
1: Yeah, I think we all kind of grew up with, you know, Vlad the Third being associated with Dracula, and the Romanian people hate that. Um, and he's their national hero, right? So they see Dracula as sort of a caricature and uh, sort of making fun of someone that they feel protected them but outside of Romania you know he was Vlad the Impaler he did terrible things but he you know in that time frame he did what he had to do to protect his people um, and i think that's so intriguing and and he has a legacy that is in the form of dracula and um Sort of as is a caricature that we we still make movies about, and um, that's just fascinating to me. I've been fascinated with the question of morality since I was in high school. My first books were about. I was so <laughs> such an intellectual. Uh, <laughs> not really. Um, no, I just thought it's so. I think that anyone can fight for their side if you believe in it, right? Like people form cults all the time, and pe- and I have a cult. You know, it's the cult of Scarlet, and I, you know, and people rally around it. It's it's a message that people. rally around, right? So you can believe in anything, and you can fight for anything, um, and that was the same concept here. Is I thought, you know, what what gets people into that? into that framework, into that mindset. Um, and I always hope I do it well. I don't know if I, you know what I mean? I'm like, I, when, I, when I do like interviews and stuff and people say, how do you manage to do this? I'm like, I have no clue. I just, uh, I just do things and I hope it works. But I, I do think it, it starts with that curiosity. And then looking, I like to look at history, like where are there examples of this kind of behavior? Um, but Vlad III is a perfect example of it because um, there's a story I'll tell you that I thought was and I don't know if this is true or not I just I found um like these folk tales from and one is about Vlad the Third, and he had this lover and she had beautiful braids these blonde this long blonde braid and um you know the, the people around um the area were like very angry at him so they they took their angry anger out on her and cut her braid and he killed them all <laughs> and I was like that's such an Adrian move right and and um <laughs> But you know, I think I think in, in in it's interesting with this thing around dark romance. I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but it's fine. I I get to, uh, <laughs> we have this tendency in dark romance to you know we really love our morally gray characters that and we'll ignore little hints about them. And Adrian's always said that you know he's he kills who he kills you know and he he does not exclude anyone. And I think we're willing to ignore that in favor of being like, oh my God, he's so hot, and I'm like. <laughs> and so i was like you guys don't understand he's a terrible person um so I, it was interesting in kbb what people were willing to ignore in favor of the love story and what qmm they're like what the fuck i thought he, i thought he was hot like you know um and so and I, you know so i always want to be like i'm not i'm not stupid it's very intentional and uh, but we will get to the happily ever after. I just think there has to be uh, we have a lot of things going on with the goddesses and they have a lot of influence. And and, and I, that doesn't excuse Adrian's behavior. And I think that's going to be the interesting part about how he has to get to the point where um, he's redeemed. And how do you do that? How how can you redeem yourself for all the terrible things you've done? And I know the answer. But, um, you know, it's like it, you know, but you have here's the thing. He has to redeem himself in readers eyes. Right. So I have to write a character that you can forgive. How do you do that? Right. I'm asking myself that question, too. I'm like, why did why did you do this to yourself? I don't know. I ask myself that all the time. (laughs) But I am just like, I'm like begging you, like, stay with me. (laughs) I swear I can do this.
0: um you mentioned women and throughout this series there's the kind of the empowerment of women the interest in witches can you talk a little bit about that
1: <laughs> yeah i i'm a little witchy if you ca- can't tell um so i i started reading this book i you, if you watch any of my lives you probably heard about witch by lisa lester and it, it talks about this concept of um women and how like um we're all we are all witches and we're all empowered and uh the idea of like being virginal is like not about uh not having sex it's about being sure of yourself being confident in yourself and when society takes that away right then you're virginal because you don't have confidence in yourself and 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 you can see it in society like when women start to embrace like their sensuality society wants to take them down but you they still want us to be sexual and i get really tired of all the double standards um which is why I'm kind of abrasive <laughs> to some people um and I'm very direct and I, I and, and it causes um a lot of people to be like I don't know if I like this um and so I wanted to I explore that a lot with Azold. um but I I think I I just got on this this like bandwagon of like there's a book called uh, when God was when God was a woman and it talks about the story of Adam and Eve and how like, that concept was so man-made, and it put women in a position to be submissive. And it, it's because people are afraid of our power. Um, and so what do you do when you're afraid of power, right? You oppress. So you make, you make childbirth into a punishment. When in, like, in a matriarch, it is a sacred thing. You are giving life. Why would we make that into a punishment? Why would we make the continual evolution of our society into a punishment? Without women, we don't exist as a world. How the fuck do you populate a world without women? How do I just, I don't, it, don't, it doesn't make sense to me. How do you, how do you oppress the people who keep your society going? Um, so that's, what, that was, I'm so angry about it. <laughs> So you and I think you can see it in Queen of Myth and Monsters. The whole point of this book is like kind of like an angry love like letter, like to women to like stand up and like see your power. Um, And at the end, Isold gets it. She gets it. Um, So it's going to be interesting in book three to see where she where she goes. Um, But yeah, it, it came from a lot of anger. Just so much anger built up about. You know this how
0: we're treated
1: in society. What
0: was going on in the real world, probably? Yeah. Well, yes,
1: it was a lot of. It fueled a lot of. It's so disheartening to be in a world where, like, how how are we in 2022 and we're still discussing how women should have children? Like, you're literally taking away our our options, and you're saying, well, you have to have children no matter how old you are. You know, if you're if you're 10 and you are, you are, you know, you somehow fall pregnant, you still have to have that child even if it's not your choice, um, but also, you know, you're a bad person for having sex, but also, you know, it's such double standard. I don't understand. Why are we doing this? I, t- tell me why, where it makes sense. I don't get it. Um, it and the, you know, <laughs> it shocks me when women in power continue to make these decisions for us. Shocking. Like, how could you do that to You had children. How could you do that to us? It just shocks me. Um, And you know, I I I feel like when I write books, I can put my thoughts and my anger into it and make it make sense. You know, like make my thoughts on it make sense. So when I write books, I'm like I'm trying to process how I see the world and how I understand the world, and then I'm trying to figure out like if I, you know, living in this world, how am I going to change it? And I think as an author, what I can do is help you recognize your power. Uh, and if you're willing to read it and willing to look at it, you know, I write romance. Yes, I write sex scenes. I write spicy sex scenes. but there, And there's a lot of power for women and sex. And I think that people think there isn't because we are a Christian-based society and we've corrupted sex for women. And we've made it. <laughs> this girl is over here. I don't know who you are. <laughs> But I feel like you're worshiping me right now, and I am. I here for it. Um. Yeah. So I. So I feel like I. Yeah. Th- there's. There's so many layers to this book, and it's like it's more than just you know. And I. I hate even saying more than just romance because romance has empowered women for years. It's just been made fun of in mainstream media to the point that where you know before you were introduced to romance, you probably said something like, oh. All the plots are the same, or there's no plot in romance, or they're all the same books. Blah blah blah. It's like it's a tool to work against you, so you don't find your empowerment. Like pff, fuck, <laughs> and we all fell for it for so long. <laughs> so let's not fall for it anymore. <laughs> Huge tangent.
0: <laughs> no, it's um it's important, it's important that you say that. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about world building because you really excel at that. Thank you. Um, in uh, Queen of Myth and Monsters and King of Blood and Battle. Did I get that right? Battle, (laughs) blood. There, battle and blood. Um, This series was influenced by the myths and legends of Romania, Germany, uh, Russia. Can you talk a little bit about how you look at those different world culture myths and then kind of make your own world?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I always try to honor the source material, um, and I. And the importance of it, it it's, it's such a big deal to me, especially even with Greek myths, because people worship those gods still and and th- those gods are very real. So when they message me and say, like, you really represented this God the way that I see them and the way that they talk to me, I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> so amazing, you know, but. Um, but, and I really wanted to heavily inspire on Romanian culture because that is kind of where, where, so you have to root your stories into something familiar. So vampires are very familiar with Romania, right? So that's, that's the first thread. Um, but then I found this book, the, it's the Encyclopedia of Vampiric Mythology, and she talked about how vampires are a manifestation of every culture's fears. So things that we consider to be a vampire uh, may not be vampires in other cultures. And so I, I sort of thought, oh, that's a thread, cool. So what in the society do people fear? Well, we all know it's women, but. Um, <laughs> uh, so we just kept going, I kept kind of going with that thread. But um, I loved, there's so many precious things about Romanian culture, and one of them is they close, um, they have gates around their villages and they close the doors at night so spirits can't get in um and i really related to that as uh you know from my heritage because i believe in spirits and um i the owls and the owl in kbb i fucking hate owls i'm sorry they're omens of death in my culture and um i and when i see one i pray because i'm i you know it's a thing uh in fact i ble- i i'm so fr- <laughs> i'm so, i'm so afraid of owls well, have to turn it around, you should have, you should not have pointed it out to me. How dare you! I know. It's—it's—it's it's, it's so much to the point that um, I, the the person who did my book trailer for KBB put an owl in it. I said I love it so much, but can you take the owl out? And it was a really cool shot. I was like, can it be a falcon instead? It was an owl. Um, and then I stayed at an Airbnb with an owl on the the, and I had I took it down. I had to take the picture. <laughs> It couldn't look at me um, so when I say it's it's very real so I loved those 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 things because I can relate to those things in my own in my own culture um, But then and then in QMM there is a festival. It's uh, I think it's uh, it's been so long so that there's been four months since I wrote this book winter Winter's Eve or something and it's based off the night of the wolf in Romania, which um celebrates um saint anthony and it's the night where magic is believed to be the most powerful and i thought how beautiful is that because uh, i think we have a tendency to not believe in magic in the society and so i was like i want to to take that and, and kind of pay homage to it but and i talked to i have a friend in romania mary she does she does um the i don't know if some of you guys saw the foiled bookmark that was part yeah she did the art for that and I said, "Do you does this have any religious significance because of Saint Anthony?" And she said, "No, you could use it, but I didn't." Uh, so I just I always make sure in my author's note to to let you guys know. always read my author's note, please, uh, to make sure you know where where those sources come from. But they just have a lot of those beautiful gems, you know, that I think you can fold into a world that you've created and still honor their culture and um and romanian's culture is so rich and it's so cool to watch people from romania message me and say oh my god i've never read i've never read a fantasy book based on my culture um and and that's such a beautiful thing to me because it means I did it right and and I think you know we see a lot of people do things wrong unintentionally or intentionally and uh, so it's um it's such a blessing when I hear that um it's it's made them happy or changed their life or or whatever so um yeah I just let I just read a bunch of stuff and it floats in my head all the time and then I just someday it ends up in a in a world that I create
0: um was St. Andrew's Eve is that kind of synonymous yeah. with halloween or all all those it?
1: no it's not it's it's um it's not even it's it's it's, it's there are wolves involved and yeah no it, it's like the night it had there there were two kind of uh versions of it but one was like um something about there's there are wolves will chase you something I can't remember I don't want to quote my I don't want to misquote um, but it involved wolves and wolves are um, Adrian's symbol which is how I got started on that in the beginning Um, and yeah so that that was kind of no it it felt more Christmassy to me but uh, I think it's more like an equinox the winter uh, solstice uh, so we would just pass that uh, you know we just passed that so I wonder if anyone had any wolves out and (laughs) about
0: Actually, up in North Scottsdale, coyotes come from the reservation. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah. surprised.
1: Lots of coyotes in Oklahoma.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it might surprise people, but you do write another series. Can you <laughs> can you talk a little bit about that for people who may not be familiar with your New Greece books?
1: Yeah, I write a Hades and Persephone retelling. Um, and there's two, it's a Hades, there's Persephone's point of view and Hades' point of view, and a lot of people are like, do I have to read Hades' point of view? And I'm like, yes, yes, thank you thank you um it has a a completely different plot which is so fun because i didn't want to do it you know i didn't want to do if it was going to be the same book that's boring for me it's boring for y'all um but yeah it came from my love of greek mythology and i i took a lot of greek mythology classes in college i'd always loved mythology but i really found a love of it uh, when i read the aeneid and again i think it's so interesting in mythology these women are put in such, they're, they're goddesses. They have the ultimate power, and even they are oppressed by gods. And I was like, that's annoying. So what, <laughs> so what can we do to change it? And, uh, and then New Greece was kind of inspired. And I, I, I can't write in like, I don't like to write in like real ancient times or the modern world. I always have to adapt it into something that's my own, which is why I decided to do New Greece. But the reason I mo- we talked about this earlier, the reason I modernized it was because I saw so many parallels to modern culture. And I, I he said, uh, Apollo was like Harvey Weinstein, and I said that's the comparison I use all the time. That's when I When I <laughs> am I wrong? Where's the lie? Yeah. So yes. Um, so that's why I thought it would be interesting to to write it in modern times to sort of see like how we haven't changed the society. But I also think that myths are created to explain the world around us. And if we can write a world, a myth retelling, to explain the world around us, can we not kind of change it to empower us as well? Um, And Persephone's journey is definitely one for for personal empowerment for me. So anytime people say they don't like her, I say, well, you don't like me. And if you're my fan, you have to like me. Uh, and you know, I think we've all, you know, had experiences like Persephone. We've all been young and, um, not really known how to navigate life. And depending on what background you've come from, you, you'll relate to her. Or you won't.
0: Let's switch gears a little and talk about your writing process <laughs> 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 or, or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, you have said, I have it written down for that. For you, writing a book is so much more than putting words on a page. Can you kind of expand on that? Where
1: did you get all of these things I had
0: said? I'm a librarian or <laughs> I used to be, so that's there. I I so appreciate
1: when people do their research because it makes these interviews so fun, and you've made this so fun. Um, yeah, it's, so writing is in my soul, and I think I've always been called to write. And even before at, when I was 13, and I decided to do this, I would always feel oh, it didn't break.
0: Yeah.
1: You're going to get something great. Me. that It's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, uh, maybe. <laughs> Just, you know, all of you pray for me that I get on my flight tomorrow and make it to Washington and then make it home on Christmas Eve. Um, yes, I lost my train of thought.
0: Uh, writing is more of
1: I would, I would feel like so pulled to write. And I would pull out pieces of paper and... Practice my handwriting because I wasn't sure what I wanted to write. And prior to reading fantasy, I had always read mysteries. Like I was a huge Lewis Duncan fan, and yeah, I loved, loved. Yes,
0: I. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah yeah down
1: along dark. yeah and uh killing mr griffin which is so dark about killing a teacher um but i loved it so much <laughs> and i do think i have a little bit of horror in kind of all my novels but um yeah and so i always felt uh pulled to write so i i always felt like i never had a choice this had to be what i was going to do and i wanted to change lives and i always said I don't think I ever thought I could change lives writing romance, but I can and I do, and I do it every day and it shocks me and it's the greatest blessing. And it's also, it, it, it's kind of scary because it's a big, it's a huge burden, but um, yeah, it's just in my, and when people talk about it as if it's just about making money, it's, I can't do it. I, it's not about that for me. It's so much more than that. And, and it, it's, You know, it's a way for me to like process my trauma, and then I find so many people who have been through the same things, and I think that's what this is about. And um, I just—it's going to be interesting to see, like, you know, where we are in a year. But I hope a lot of healing takes place, and um, I do. I want to change the world so badly. I want to change the face of romance. I want—I want so many things for so many of you know my readers, and and I think that's like—it's just this ultimate goal of of changing lives, Um, that's why it's so important to me to to keep writing, even when I I don't want to. And I'm like, why the hell did you decide to do this? It's so fucking hard. And uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to, because I didn't ask you (laughs) for permission earlier. I'm sorry, it just
0: comes out. It means we'll go viral.
1: (laughs) Um, So yeah, and it's hard to to put it into words because it, it means so much to me. And I've wanted to do this my whole life. And to have my words mean something to people is like, <laughs> I can't process it. It it doesn't sink in. It's like, it's a complete dream. Um, this is, so, yeah, it's thank you. <laughs> so, it's a big deal.
0: <laughs> There's been a lot of talk in publishing over the last decade about literary brands or... Um, For better or for worse, Um, for those that have not read your books, how would you describe your literary brand?
1: I have this conversation all the time Um, because I get, I don't know. I really don't know um you know my comps are always i talked about comps a lot because um i think there's a danger to doing comp books to saying like this book if you like so and so you'll like so and so so people do that with me they say if you like sarah j mass and jla you'll like scarlett st clair and i disagree um but i'm a librarian and i think people need to change the way they comp books i think you need to say if you like this list of things you'll like this book because You can all read Sarah J. Mass, but you're all going to pick something out that you really love about that book. So if someone tells you I'm like Sarah J. Mass, you're going to pick that thing you love about that book and say, oh, that's in this book. It's probably not in my book. Um, So I think there's such a danger in that. And I wish we could peel away like all these expectations we put upon books and just let them speak for themselves and we don't do that enough and you know and i and tiktok is a wonderful thing but it also sort of inspires this sort of toxic space around reading and i'm a librarian remember first and foremost and i think that discourages people from reading from discovering books I think the most toxic thing that ever happened was all of the publicity around Twilight. That book got everyone into reading. It got so many people reading. I don't care what you think about it. I don't care what you think about Fifty Shades of Grey. It got people reading. That is so fucking important to our society. I have readers today because they read Twilight and they read read Fifty Shades of Grey and then you shamed them on a huge level and you made them afraid to say what they loved. That is ridiculous. I can't, can't, it's unforgivable. I'm very passionate about a few (laughs) topics, as you can tell.
0: I didn't think I could like you anymore, but I already do, because what you're describing is Reader's Advisory. Is. I love Reader's
1: Advisory. Yes. and And, I, and it, is, it is such a skill, and, and people take it, and they, they just, and I have thought about doing TikToks about how to conduct Reader's Advisory, because it, it's such a passion of mine. And when people ask you, like, you know, I don't, none of you will be inclined to do this, because you all came to my talk, and you've heard, you've heard me say this, um... But people are like, what do librarians do? Just check out books? Absolutely not. Uh, There's such a science. It's called library science for a reason. We do a lot of research on information seeking behaviors. Um, we do a lot of research on on uh, children's literacy. L- the amount of research, the amount of outcomes based programming we do for children to help in- improve their literacy, especially in you know underserved areas where even the schools don't have funds, right? you you none of you will value the library as much as you should um but yeah it's reader's advisory and it's really important and i i hear it all the time parents will have their kids and their kids will pick out a book and the parent will go oh you won't like that how do you know Mm -hmm. you don't know We have conversations all the time among librarians about how is it do should we let kids like or not really in public libraries. You can read whatever you want. If your parents not with you and you pick from the adult section, I'm not telling you, no. Um, But, you know, are there advantages to reading above your your age? And I think teenagers are very intelligent and they know what they're reading and they will skip it. I have t- I was the teen advi- I I was the teen advisory um volunteer uh leader and I talk to teens all the time about what what do you do when you read a book that you think is too old for you they're like I just skip it they do cuz they're we don't give them enough credit for being smart <laughs> Um, yeah, so libra- librarianship is very close to me, and I think when we kind of get into this space where we make reading toxic, it's just like, what's the point? Why are we why t- why are we judging people for what they read? There's a, what is that thing on TikTok that they say I'm not yucking someone's yum? If you have to, but if you have to say it, if you have to start out your video by saying I'm not doing that, you sure as fuck are doing it. <laughs> so maybe you should stop talking. So. I have strong opinions about this. It it is <laughs>
0: Um My question that I'm always interested in is you're a published author now. What has surprised you the most about the business of publishing now that you're here? Can
1: I say this? <laughs> it's not gonna be good. Should
0: we turn off the cameras?
1: No. I just think you know, I think publishing is a business at the end of the day and it's so disheartening because I'm about um you know, the passion of readers, and I will come down to it again, and we, I think maybe I, I, librarianship really influenced how I view publishing and, and my readers, and it's all about what you guys want, <laughs> and I don't think the publishing industry listens enough, and, and I think, you know, it's, I think it's frustrating to them that indie authors are doing so well because they didn't pick us. And um, there used to be a huge stigma around self-publishing, you know, if, if you had to self-publish, you weren't good enough. That is not true. And if any of you are trying to be authors in here, let me tell you, if you get rejected by the industry, it's not because you aren't good enough. It's because they don't know what to do with you. And when something doesn't fit in their box, they're gonna kick it out. The other thing that irritates me about publishing is how they pretend to be so diverse and they're so fucking whitewashed they can't even see it. It's like, you have to have diversity from the ground up. And until you do that, you're not gonna be able to be diverse. It makes me so angry. We had I had to have a conversation about why I had why Isold can be on the cut like why her hands can be brown, and the the conversation around it was like from two white women, and I was like I'm not gonna have this conversation with you.
0: But do you think romance has become better compared to? 10 romance years has
1: ago? always been a step ahead in diversity. I agree. I think romance has always done it well. I think everyone else sucks at it. So it's it's very frustrating and it's you know, I mean you can see this all the time on Twitter. They you know, they'll they'll White authors will talk about their advances versus BIPOC authors Way low, you know, and that's now after you've had this like diversity and publishing movement for how long? Like when it serves you that's what the answer is. So I, I hate that kind of thing. I hate I, I don't like anything disingenuine and I think overwhelmingly, the publishing industry is disingenuous, and I say it all the time. And that's probably why I <laughs> I'm very honest. Can you? Tell me so honest? I'm like so honest about it. Um, but I, I, I'm yeah. I mean, even the New York Times, you know, it's all it, that. It's just a list that you know pretentious people have decided to curate, and you know, and it, it's not about bestsellers, even though they've led the public to think it's all about bestsellers. It's not. Go look at Publishers Weekly and look at the units that we move you know it's not about that it's not about that um so there's a lot of issues in it it's an old system it's an old white boy system and it has to change but until until the infrastructure changes there's there's nothing you know to be done about it
0: well there's one way people can change it by buying more copies of your book
1: (laughs) yeah you know i i I i want to i know i think i'm i'm kind of kind of sussing out how I want to change it, and I think I can be some sort of change in that industry. I'm just trying to figure out what it's going to look like, because it can't look like an old system. It's not, everyone says, open your own publishing company. It can't be that. It can't be, that can't be the answer, because that's just doing what everyone else does. It has to be something else. And so, as I'm learning what it's like to be in the indie world, and what it's like to be in the traditional world, I'm sort of figuring out what I I want to do, but... (laughs) I will change it.
0: I believe you. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and take some questions because I know people are going to want to get their books signed. So any questions from the audience for Scarlett? Lady there. Yep. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, when um, it comes to, like this past year, a lot of authors have come out that writing
1: like diverse characters don't make a lot of money. This irritates me so much. I just, I think I I, well, you know, I think I'm an example of that that's a lie people tell themselves. And the, the other problem I have with that is the publishing industry says there are statistics that show that books with people of color on the front don't sell as well. And I think okay, we, we have a lot of things going on here. First of all, socioeconomic status. Are you getting these books into the hands of people who would buy them? Or are you getting them into the libraries where they need to be? I think your statistics are skewed. And I think it's a, an excuse. So you don't have to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, why, how are we going to change that quote unquote statistic if we just stop doing it? And I think it's a lie. I think it's just a lie people are telling themselves. I've gotten, I have I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? How do you feel about it? Do you think it's a lie? I don't either. hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. I
0: don't understand why it's hard for certain authors to write things. Mm hmm.
1: It's fear. I think it is. I think it is, and I think it is. It, it's. I think it's. Uh, it's a lot of fear. It's like even if I do try, am I still going to fail? But you know, we have to do a lot of things that make us uncomfortable so we can grow. Um, my. I have a very unique perspective on it because I, I present white, but I'm part of the Muscogee Nation, and uh, so the way I do this is that I fold in my experiences of what it's like to be in my skin. And, um, you know, because I, I don't like Sherman Alexie, but he wrote Diary of a Part-Time Indian, which explains exactly what it's like to be someone like me. And, you know, from one side, you're not Native enough. And from the other side, it's like, what are you? You have to be mixed with something, right? Um, and, but I think it's so simple to make these things normative. And it's so simple to include the LGBTQ plus community in your books and make it normative because it's, it's not about it's not like, oh, my God, you're gay. It's just like, yeah, you're gay. It's, it's just what happens. It's just it's who you are. It's, it's beautiful. It's the same with like oh, you're black. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's your skin. It, I think it, I think that's what's cool about is old is like I wanted a character who I, I feel very <clears throat> there are times I feel very uncomfortable in my skin in my community. So I'm not brown enough. I'm um, not even brown, <laughs> fucking white. I am white as fuck. And there there's a lot of privilege that comes with that, right? But people ignore like there is a socioeconomic level like um experience to being native that we all experience. There's health issues that we all experience being native people. Um and but there it's easy. Like it it's nice to have someone who can just be brown in their world and no one points it out. <laughs> like, no one says, "Oh yeah, you're brown and it's a problem." Like, you know, it's not and I think that's and what I wanted to do with Isolde. old, um, and then the experiences she goes through with her people are experiences that I've had with my people, and um, it's a very emotional journey, and it's very hard to it's very hard to write, um, but you just have to be willing to do it. Um, and I don't know, I can't speak for other authors, I can just speak for myself, but I do think it is a lot of fear. Uh, that's not an excuse; it's a terrible excuse. You've got to do things that make you afraid. Um, But I hope people start changing their approach to it. I think they get scared when they're asked. I'm asked this. Why did you write about a brown woman? So I just explain why I do it. You know. And I can learn from those conversations too. I'm not afraid of them.
0: Other questions? You've you've stunned them into silence. Are you afraid of me? that
1: woman. If you can take one but and make a book. mine? I hope. Oh, a, a movie show. or a TV show. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. TV. Hey, it's her question. <laughs> <laughs> um I want I would rather um a touch of darkness be a TV show. Cuz I think it would be really cool to have like to show Haiti side as well. I I can't do. I told them you can't option one without the other. Um I see KBB as an anime, but it would be. <laughs> Can y'all imagine? Um, so I, I don't know. Um, I I don't know. We'll see. I, I can't imagine. Uh, you know, it's very interesting. I can't imagine it any other way. Uh, so if if the, if KBB was to be optioned first, I would be shocked. I would be like, um, but I, you know. Yeah, I, it's interesting I'm wondering if a touch of darkness the French will get a hold of a touch of darkness before um, America will because the French are die hard when I tell you guys the French are die hard fans of a touch of darkness it blows my mind they are, and I've never felt like a celebrity before as I did like there they, I tried to leave and they like my uh, I have a French exchange student and she's like I want a picture and I was like sure you know it's a family picture So we took it, and then they kept pulling me aside. All these French people started lining up to get pictures with me, and I was like, (laughs) "I got, I have to leave." Um, So it's gonna, it would be interesting. But which one would you see as a TV show? Which one would you want to see as a movie? Did you see? Do you watch anime? (laughs) I don't know why I see it as an anime. Thank you. To see <laughs> I have said like I I think if people I think people might be afraid to touch me uh, <laughs> because I um gosh I I would be so loud about re- my readership oh no and I and I, they don't do that in Hollywood but that's why I think it would be to my benefit to see it go do really well in France. And then I have the leverage to say, you know, that's how my brain works, though. I was I was indie for a long time. I had to do this myself. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I th- Those were the um, there were some strict things I gave to my I have someone who does shop around my rights. It's very it's not an agent. It's very different. Um, she she um, represents TV writers. Um and I told her like there's no other option. Like uh, I would I would want to be named as a producer and a writer, which means I have to write on the script. Um
0: so more questions <laughs> So you uh, pick one, favorite theme that you isn't that like asking which is your favorite child if you're a parent? I know, not-
1: like, what? Well, and it's like favorite, like favorite heartbreaker, favorite funny, favorite.
0: <laughs>
1: God, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to also remember what I wrote. Uh- <laughs> why is this so hard
0: (laughs) you could just say all of them
1: yeah i don't know i it's so hard you know i'll tell you what i thought was hilarious though and i wrote the the hermes like in leather shorts i never thought anyone (laughs) never thought anyone would latch onto that and take it where they've taken it but it it makes me laugh so hard um you know I think it's always I do a lot of mental gymnastics when I write um, emotional scenes because I always I always look at um, part of my editing process is going through and being like, how can I make this more emotional? <laughs> and uh, so any of those scenes that that you felt like a like a pang or like, why do I have to read this? Um, it's kind of th- those are I th- felt those emotions. <laughs> um I, I'm gonna ruminate on that, and then when you come up in my line, I'll, I'll have an answer for you. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll have one that fast. <laughs>
0: Is that lady there? Lady in black.
1: Well, I think it's you. <laughs> I think so. I guess. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> uh, the question would be, what would you say your first
0: means if you
1: had to give which one which theory i was like blood it tastes like blood
0: you can do it like i do like cabernet i do
1: i love cabernet okay so it tastes like my favorite wine um yeah I, I i my first gut instinct was like hades and persephone because all hades drinks is whiskey and it was really funny because my editor was like he's not had any water and i said shut up <laughs> He is a god. He doesn't need it, yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of a joke. I know. I don't know if you guys know this, but I do like to make fun of myself in my books, and uh, so I I just think that's fucking hilarious. And then in um, we had a joke in um, a game of fate. I don't know. I'm gonna say this. I don't. It's fine. Uh, you guys are all adults here, right? Um, I, I, was, I was like, we should turn it into a drinking game, like the number of times Hades says cock, and and it's like it's like it's like 36 in in the game so now it's a game with my readers where they they always like do a search in 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 a, in a game of retribution i don't remember how many are in there but um and then in the game of fate too i this is a little off topic but in the game of fate there's a chapter called for your pleasure a montage and it's just a chapter it's like one huge sex montage and i thought that was fucking hilarious because in movies there's always a sex montage <laughs> And I don't know if anyone gets it, but I and I feel so clever. And <laughs> so I like to throw things in like that that are just like really fun. You had a second question.
0: Do you have <laughs> any advice for people want to do this?
1: Are you writing right now? Okay, step one is done. Then, <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know what I was doing either when I first started, and I think um, I think back on that time because I remember just my head hurting so bad <laughs> trying to. Because there's a quote about I forget who says it, but like all writing is, is is sitting down at your you know computer or typewriter and bleeding on the page. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's exactly what it is, and it is very difficult, and sometimes uh, you know. You can sit down at a computer and you can stare at w- one sentence for two hours. And I still do that. It doesn't go away. The hard part does not go away. Uh, but the point is, is that you don't give up, right? I say this all the time. This is in my soul. I can't stop doing it. Um, so I, I, I always tell writers, like, you're going to have to find a way to yes. And we had that saying in the library, uh, find a way to yes. Uh, because you'll get told no a lot, or you'll get told by people, like, you know, there's no money in writing, you know. You, you shouldn't do it. Uh, but it's never been about money, right? It's about been, It's been about changing the world. Um, so you just have to keep doing it. And, and if you feel like you don't know what you're doing, you know, find resources that help you feel like you know what you're doing. The first book that helped me write... Um, I feel like the first, the beginning of my book better was the first 50 pages. It's called the first 50 pages. And it was so hilarious. It was when stars come out, actually my way book. And uh, I remember using it to like help me kind of guide me through the first 50 pages. And then I kind of got stuck and I I looked at where I was and I had hit page 50. (laughs) So that helped. It got me to page 50. Um, And then there's a really, I have a highlight on my Instagram where I give books and uh, suggestions and stuff. You've got to find like your like book, kind of like your writing Bible. Mine was John Truby, uh, uh, um, John Truby's Anatomy of Story. A lot of people uh, like Save the Cat. I could not read Save the Cat. Um, so just f- find your literary Bible and it will help you feel more grounded in your work. Um, but you don't do this without help. And I think sometimes as writers, we think we're solitary creatures, and we have we have to do it alone. But you can't. You cannot. You can't improve your writing without help. You can't. You know. You can't just stay in your hole and write. You've got to actually let people read it every now and then. Not too many though, because you can't. You can't. You can't. You can't have too many people. This every every single one of you in here has has a different impression of my work. And if I had gotten all of your feedback, I wouldn't know what the fuck to do. Only give it to a few people, one or two. Take their feedback to heart, but leave what doesn't serve you, because you're the person who knows the story. Yeah. You are cracking me up over here. I just need you to come with me on tour. I like for her.
0: Other questions?
1: Yeah.
0: I think there's someone way in the back. Way in the back. Hi.
1: I can't. Oh, uh, no, I want a graphic novel. Uh, I want KBB to be a graphic novel. And so our reason for that is that we wanted to sort of test how many of you demand a graphic novel. And then... <laughs> um, and then... So, I, so sometimes I have to, you know, try to find ways to gather statistics. Um, and so that was sort of what we were trying to do is see how many people would, you know, would say like, hey, I want a graphic novel. And then we could move forth with it. Because um, we, what we had tried to do... It's something Sourcebooks hasn't done before. And so we had tried to kind of do it uh, completely. And when it really wasn't panning out, because people weren't taking us seriously as what was happening, we thought, oh, we'll just, we'll just try it this way. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I have only heard people try to process their emotions about QMM and nothing about the graphic novel. So <laughs> it, might, it might fail. But we'll see. I'm glad that you love it. It's actually um, drawn by my editor's husband, uh, so, and I thought, yeah, I know, and he was so adorable doing it, and he, uh, he made her her copies, her pre-order copies hadn't come in, so he made her go out and buy two yesterday, <laughs> so he could see it. I will, I will, because he thinks he didn't.
0: Other questions? Any virtual questions, Patrick?
1: Well, I'm saying I said, well, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, so I, I honestly, in truth, I won't know until I write it. And I, I know that's kind of stupid for people. Like they don't like that, but uh, my editor, she's like three, three Scarlet. And I'm like, no, um, I don't know. I, I, I so I thought. Queen of Myth and Monsters was going to be longer, but again, I didn't. I think I didn't know anything about this book like I thought I knew about this book. But in order for it to be longer, it would have had have a really robust part two. Um, so where I thought it was going to end, not where it ended, which is not unusual for me. I usually know where everything ends. Um, so I don't know. I said I, I have a third. I have the title. I have the cover, um, but I, you know, we'll see. I'll let you know. yeah everyone is right
0: (laughs) last chance for questions one last question
1: uh yeah and okay so i what i did and and i love i love my readers so much and um so that's why i do those funny things and like in a a touch of darkness because they're, they're so diehard and I think it's funny, and 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 I can only get away with that, and and I can get away with it now because I was such a successful self-published author that you can't tell me no now as a traditionally published author, because um, there is a lot, there are a lot of things that go into a touch of darkness and a game of fate, you know, that that I that I probably wouldn't have gotten away with, in if, if I had been just traditional, so I'm glad I wasn't. Um, but yeah, so what I started to do, I I think I went into survival mode this year. And I didn't really realize it um, until the end. And I don't want to lose the joy I have for this because it's my passion. Um, so I started writing a grim retelling that I've been teasing on Instagram a lot. And it's so fucking fun. And I, I found my love for um, just th- this again. And um, can I tell them, can I tell them? About, okay. Sure. I've got to tell you about it because I haven't talked about it very much. But uh, the main character, the main character is her name's Gisela, and and you know, so, and the main man, his his name is Casimir, but he's an Elven prince, and he's so dumb, but he's so like. <laughs> He's also like really hot, right? And he <laughs> he's a stereotype kind of ish. Um, but they live in this enchanted forest, and it is called the enchanted forest because it's a grim retelling, you know. And uh so he he needs Gisela to fall in love with him. So he has he has this mortal prince imprisoned in his his dungeon for stealing a flower from his garden, as you do. And uh, he's, he goes to him for love advice because clearly he's in love. He's, you know, And he gives the most stupid advice ever. And it's like the first the first thing he says is, tell her she's beautiful. Women love that. And, it, of course, it backfires in his face. <laughs> so he goes back to him. And he's like, it didn't work. And then he's like, well, save her from danger. <laughs> She'll fall in love with you then. She'll have no choice. <laughs> and it, because, you know, grim retellings are like this, right? And so... so it plays really heavily on just like the stupid tropes in- and... <laughs> like fairy tales um and it you know it ends up obviously not being any of those things that make them fall in love but um it's it's really rough getting there and so i'm just having so much fun with it but on the flip side i can hear all the people who don't understand me in my head going like this doesn't make any sense like it's so dumb the magic system is not is non-existent but magic is like not everything happens in grim fairy tales for no reason there's no explanation and that's kind of how this world works but i've had so much fun and I miss that. Um, So my goal going into Gods and Chaos because I'm writing those back to back at the beginning of the year, um, is to have fun and to like you know recapture that joy I had. Uh, it's not that I'd what I mean QMM is not joyous by any means, but um, I did. It was very rough and I couldn't focus. And I think I have some OCD tendencies that kind of tie in with my anxiety, so I can't focus. So by the time I get to a point where I, it's like I have no choice but to write, I'm writing 100K in a month and I'm dying, uh, and I don't want to do that again. So my goal is to just remember why I started doing this. And part of it is so I can fangirl with all of you and that is my favorite thing, you know. So,
0: I think that's a perfect place to end, end. before we go, we do have some giveaways. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.